Hello, everyone, and welcome to Life on Point. My name is Darren. I'm one of the pastors here at Connection Point Church. And with me, as always, lead pastor, Chris Vault. Lead Good pastor, Connection Point Church. Very excited. Usually, you may have already noticed a little bit different today, and we have a little split screen thing going on, and I'm going to let Pastor Chris introduce you to a friend of Connection Point Church. Yeah, we are so excited you're here at Life on Point today, and, and this is a very special edition for us. We have with us a friend of CPC, Aaron Abramson. He is the Chief Operating Officer for Jews for Jesus. Hey, Aaron, good to see you, my friend. How are you? Excellent. Good to see you. God yeah. bless you guys for uh, just keeping us in prayer, and it's good to connect with you. Man, we're excited that you had time to join us today. Uh, tell our folks just a little bit about you. I know you were here, preached at CPC back uh, a couple of years ago, 2021. Uh, but we know that right now you're across the ocean with your family, another school year with your kiddos. And so in England, tell us a little bit. And for those who may not have been here in 2021, uh, just a little introduction to who is Aaron and where God's got you at this moment. Yeah, so thanks so much, Chris. Uh, I'm actually in London, England. My wife is British, uh, and we have three kids uh, that are almost adult. One of them's in college. Uh, one of them is sort of just on the cusp, and one is in high school still. And uh, my wife's family's all from London, East London area. So we end up back here. I've lived here a couple times. I did my undergraduate studies here in England from 2003 to 2005. And uh, yeah, so we're here now and I serve with Jews for Jesus in a capacity where basically, um, and I can talk a little bit if people don't know much about Jews for Jesus, but we really have ministry uh, all over the world where there's significant Jewish communities. So if there's a big Jewish population, uh, we try to be there and we try to share the gospel from a Jewish standpoint. I grew up in a, a Jewish home. I became a believer uh, when I was about 20 three, almost 24 years old, and uh, ended up joining Jews for Jesus a couple of years later. And so I've been on staff with Jews for Jesus since 1999 and uh, have served in New York City, served in London a couple of times, served in San Francisco, have done quite a number of different projects and summers and stuff in Israel and India and other, other places where there are, are Jewish people that go and uh, so, yeah, that's really a little bit about my role in Jews for Jesus and how long I've been doing this. Yeah, so good. You know, uh, we're excited in shooting uh, this video with you. You know, recently we had David Brickner, yeah. uh, the CEO there at Jews for Jesus here. He actually helped yeah. me uh, kick off a sermon series where we just went through the seven Jewish celebrations and learned about, about the character of God and the call of action that was in each of those and how he pointed to the Messiah and what our Messiah has done for us. So it's been a, a great series, really enjoyed him coming, but I got to tell you, Aaron, even when David was here, we had uh, members of our congregation. Hey, that's a thumbs up right there. I have no idea why that's there, uh, but carry on. <laughs> members of our congregation would come up and say, Hey, what's up with Aaron? So I know there's a lot of folks excited to catch back up with you. So you really made a great impact on our congregation in 21, and we're very proud of how God is using you. And this is just a great time for us to catch up, yep. yeah. and especially with some of the matters that's happening in the world today. We know yeah. that um, 
uh, daily on the news, the number one topic of conversation uh, right now is the Israel-Palestinian conflict. Um, and I'm sure that that's uh, hit home not only for you, uh, but for all of our Israelite brothers and sisters. And so we want, we're glad you could come on and share just a little bit with us and just catch up. Absolutely. Um, and I'm happy to talk about that. I Obviously, it's a tough topic. Um, it is something that hits home and, you know, it's not easy to really um, put into words even the the level of trauma that a lot of our staff and the people we uh, really focus on ministering to mm-hmm. have experienced over this past month. Um, it's just was it a month yesterday, I think, right? Um, yep. I'm not quite sure exact dates, but it was something like that. So um, we're still, you know, obviously reeling from it all. Um, yeah, so I actually have lived in Israel on and off a lot of my life. So my parents immigrated there when I was um, about 15. And so when I was 18, I was drafted into the Israeli military. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was in the Israeli military, I served in Southern Lebanon. I served in the West Bank. I served in some different places. Uh, men are compelled to serve for three years. Okay. And then after those three years, a lot of the men go into reserve duties. Now, I'm over the age of, I think it's 42 or 45 or something like that. So if I was in Israel now, it's unlikely that I would be called up, though there are people my age um, that did get called up. Um, so we we currently have about um, just under 50 staff or so, around 50 staff in Israel. And a lot of those staff, um, the men who were eligible to go to reserves were called up oh, wow. to defend their country. Mm. And so I think there were nine of our staff that wow. are currently waiting. And we have sons and daughters of staff members who are in the military. And some of them are in some pretty tough uh, roles and they serve kind of on the front lines. And so it's 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 touch and go. It's a little scary, honestly, um, kind of where, where the world has gone in the last month or, you know, whatever. And just to walk through that with so many Jewish people over this period has been, um, it's been challenging and yet there's an, an openness and a hunger and a desire for hope, uh, in a very dark kind of moment, um, for Jewish people around the world. And it's not just impacting Jewish people in Israel. Um, you know, I think we're seeing a rise. I don't know if you guys noticed, but there's a huge rise in anti-Semitism all over the place. And I've seen it here in London. I know in New York City, our staff were, were kind of a little, you know, our, our operation is based about two blocks from Washington Square Park. And there were thousands and thousands of just all kinds of stuff out there that was so not just anti-Israel, but anti-Jewish. And so mm-hmm. it got really scary to interact with that. And, you know, we're, we don't hide that we're Jewish. We, we're called Jews for Jesus, so pretty, pretty much people know right off the bat that we're Jewish. So it's not something that you can easily get away from or hide from. So, but you know, I just, as a matter of fact, heard today that one of our staff in Israel's um, younger younger brother was beat up in Nazareth by um, looks like a group of Arabs that heard he's a Jew and just jumped him. Mm. So this is the kind of stuff that 
Jewish people now are experiencing all over the place, including here in London. There's a, a massive, massive population of people here who are just saying the most horrific things. I mean, it's it's shocking, really, um, to to experience. You you sort of thought that stuff wasn't wasn't around now, and a lot of it's just come to the surface again. So. Yeah. The other day I was I was watching um some news cast and um they they shared a few pieces of information that literally shocked me. I mean it it rattled me for a few moments. Uh they were talking about the anti-semitism rising up here in America and especially with the Gen Z uh age group, the college yeah. campuses. Uh they brought out some revelation of how much money some anti-Israeli organizations have donated to certain public universities here in the States. And we're trying to ask the question, is that kind of helping um, fuel some of this anti-Semitism on the college campus? And then a statement was made, and this is what really grabbed me, was um, how the Gen Z age group specifically gathers most of their news information from uh, social media. And we know that. I mean, yeah. we all have a cell phone. We all have, you know, we're looking on the computers every day. We're gathering our information more there than we are a television news station. Cause you know, just to be honest, most news stations have lost a lot of integrity as well. We look on our phones, they're bombarded. And here's the statement that they made when they did the research pro-Palestinian promotions on social media outnumber pro-Israeli sources of information 10 to 1. 10 to 1. And so they were talking about with that much biased information going out, uh, even... um, you know, adults of all ages, whoever has a phone, children of all ages, but especially that Gen Z or uh, um, age group, because they're so tied to their social media news networks, how biased the information coming in is. So with you being on here with us a little bit, can you share from your perspective a little bit of what, what should we know from a non, you know, from a more balanced view of what in the world is, going on in this conflict? Because we know there's more to it than what meets the eye and what we get on the news. So just your perspective, what's, what should we know? What should we be thinking through as we, as we look from a distance at this conflict? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. Um, It's definitely a complicated, not simple sort of Twitter response type of issue. You know, and I think a lot of people, it, it's almost like the way that we do news today, it's like, well, who's Darth Vader and who's Luke Skywalker? Or, mm-hmm. you know, they just kind of want to almost like give me the really kind of simplistic version. And the reality is the situation in Israel has been complicated for decades. Yep. I mean, it goes back since actually the the turn of the century. I mean, with the British mandate, and then obviously there were... Palestinian people that were kind of moving around and there were Jews that were coming from Eastern Europe and other places. And there were what they called aliot, which were immigration periods 
um, that a lot of people would come in waves because there would be like an anti-Semitic outburst somewhere and then people would begin to immigrate or try to get into Israel. And the British who were overseeing the land at the time, they would mandate a certain number of Jews that could come in. And so you see all of this playing out even up until war, World War II. Okay. And so even going into World War II, and there are a lot of historians who break it down far more nuanced and better you know, than all of this, but obviously the droves of Jewish people that were trying to escape Europe during the late thirties and into the, you know, early forties, a lot of them were being turned away from Israel. So there's famous stories of boats, almost like the refugee boats that you see today of Jews coming over to Israel, trying to go to Israel because they feel like this is the only place in the world I can be safe. And a lot of people don't really realize, but there were hundreds of thousands of Jews that lived in places like Syria, in Yemen, in, I mean, there were Jews living in Egypt, uh, there were Jews living in, you know, there were all these different places around Israel, right, when this when this happened. And obviously, Israel becomes a state when the UN votes on it in 1948. And in that moment, obviously, we know Israel was attacked by a bunch of the different nations that were around Israel. And a lot of the Jews that were in those countries essentially were expelled. Mm. So a lot of people don't realize this, but if Israel hadn't absorbed them, there would be Jewish camps of hundreds of thousands of Jews that would have just been stuck somewhere, right? So today what's happened is you have a whole bunch, hundreds of thousands of Palestinians who are, who are basically in refugee camps. And a lot of people don't realize, but not all of them are in Israel. A lot of them are in Lebanon, in Syria, and other countries. And their live their life in those particular camps is very tough. Uh, and it, you know, people don't really hear about that a lot in the media, but they don't have voting rights, they can't work in certain professions in, in Lebanon. And you can read all about these. You won't hear about it in the news often. It's very rarely talked about. But the Palestinian people. And the Jewish people, I, I think that ultimately there is a way forward. And I do believe that there's hope, but I also believe that there are immense political powers that want to use these different peoples as almost in some ways pawns in all of the situation in the Middle East. And it's quite sad because you've got families, obviously we're seeing it in the news during this this particular, the war that's going on right now, that are, they're caught and they don't where where how exactly can this be resolved for them especially mm. if they've got a corrupt you know group in power that's just exploiting taking all their resources uh doing whatever they need to basically um to to attack Israel and we all know that uh in fact this was in the news today in Israel in the Israeli newspapers that the Israelis in interviewing some of the top Hamas guys were talking about how They've talked about how their goal wasn't to make things better. I mean, their goal isn't to really make life better for the Palestinian people in the end. Their goal is to make Israel be in the center of the media's attention. Mm. Their goal is to put Israel and put them on the hot spot and try to they they recognize this issue had drifted off of the world's attention. And they essentially said, we're going to put it back into the middle of the news. Wow. And it's quite crazy to think that people would do that and not care for innocent human civilians, children, babies, all the things that you've heard about. So as a Jew that 
lived in Israel and my, my, you know, my family are still in Jerusalem and all of our staff that are throughout the country, they're, they're in shock. Mm. I mean, they knew that this could happen, but they're in shock that something so severe happened where people essentially were kidnapped into, and you know, when one Israeli gets kidnapped, the whole country goes into like a mourning and a lockdown or like, what are we going to do? I don't know if you know this, but in the past, there have been famous stories of Israelis that were kidnapped and they would swap hundreds of Palestinian prisoners just to get one person back. Mm. That's how bad one, uh, you know, prisoner or hostage situation has been for Israel in the past. Now there's over 200. And so it's, I think that we're dealing with something that's relatively unprecedented. Mm. I don't think that people expected that that level of um, atrocity could take place on Israeli soil. Obviously, they knew that we could be at war, but the way that this happened and the civilians that were targeted and just the whole way that this was carried out, I think Mm. even though they know that Hamas is capable of of a extreme violence. I don't know that anybody quite expected that level of just, you know, it was just horror. And, you know, I just a few months back was in Poland and I went to Auschwitz. Mm-hmm. And you go there and you think, well, how could that ever happen? Mm-hmm. How can anything like this ever happen to other human beings? It's just unfathomable and that is a level i think of evil that you read about in the scriptures i mean you read about just evil and you know the psalms talk about the bloodthirsty and the you know you can read about this stuff and you know i had i think a number of jews didn't live in you know germany or through the pogroms like you know i had relatives my um grandmother and her whole family you know came over from uh from poland and so you see uh, they were obviously leaving a lot of that horrific kind of attack and stuff. But just to experience it today in 2000 and, you know, 23 and to hear these stories, it's almost, you almost don't believe it. Mm-hmm. So that's where a lot of Israelis are right now. It's they're trying to grapple with how do we collectively as a people, a little bit the way America had to deal with 9-11, how do we deal with this? We still imagine it's not like there's people that are just dead. It's like there are babies being kept over there. And honestly, people don't know. They don't know what to do with themselves. So a lot of the Israelis, it's like TVs on a lot and they're just grieving. And um, so just to give you one highlight, though, that I thought was actually a hopeful moment. um, Our teams have continued to minister. Mm. I mean, just amazing ministries happening at this time. It's unbelievable the stories I've been hearing, but our team is on the ground and they're partnering with groups like Samaritan's Purse and, you know, there's Messianic congregations throughout Israel we're partnering with and there's other organizations on the ground with us and we're doing meal preparation. Um, We're actually visiting people, you know, there's people that are displaced that live on the border. So we're running a a whole group, like 300 people are in a hotel in Jerusalem that our team is kind of helping to get sort of placed there temporarily. So we're talking like kids that need classes for school and, you know, because they're 
they're not down by Gaza, they move them up to Jerusalem to be mm. safe and things like that. So the country has just been adapting, but our teams have been partnering with others to help out on the ground in all these all these amazing ways. And we had an event um, last night, as a matter of fact, where we had all of these artists that were musical artists in Israel. Some of them were actually uh, like a producer there is very well known, was involved in it and stuff like that. And they did something around... Um, hope in the midst of mourning mm. and they sang songs together we had uh 50 israelis come to this that were not believers and another 30 that were so there were about 80 people that came because you got to realize we have to we can only have as many people as can go in bomb shelters right now okay so you have to limit the amount of people that can congregate for that reason so they had about 80 people and uh we did this whole event and one of our staff got up and talked about his hope and where it comes from as being a believer in Yeshua, Jesus. And people were coming in at that moment to the center, just like rather than leaving, you know, you think sometimes people get to the the, the Bible talk or the guy who's going to share a little bit of uh, uh, something spiritual and you get people, going, mm, I'm going to leave. Everybody like leaned in and more people came from outside the room to hear and he said he just got to really, he felt God meet him there in that moment and really got to share with people. But people are looking for hope. And we believe that that hope ultimately can be found in what God has done for us. Even in the darkest of times, you know, God encountered evil head on and sent his son to really, you know, make that that be the difference in our lives. And so if we could even just share a little bit of that with our Jewish brothers and sisters, uh, we think, we think it like cracks that light into the room and that's what we're hoping to be able to accomplish. Powerful, very powerful. Uh, yeah. It's our living hope, right? And in the darkness yeah. is where Isaiah said the light of Yeshua would yep. shine the brightest. That's right. And I think it's dark times like these that people you know, they can be kind of in sort of cruise control and not thinking about spiritual matters. But when things like this start to happen, people start to ask questions. I mean, even in New York, um, we have a, our office is right, like I said, near NYU, and we've got a coffee shop there now. And it's called Moshava, which means village in Hebrew. And so we invited local Israelis to come and kind of just talk just to be there. We just said, Hey, you know, cookies and, and uh, coffee on us come, you know, hang out and chat one in the afternoons. And so they got a group coming every week. And there's a couple therapists, Israeli therapists that said, wow, we find this so amazing and therapeutic and helpful just to talk about this with others. And, you know, and then they're, mo none of them are believers and they all know that we are. And so we get these opportunities along those lines to be able to share um, hope. And a lot of them are going, you know, what's happening to the colleges and what's happening, you know, cause some of them are professors or, you know, are involved in college campuses. And a friend of mine was telling me that he's good friends with one of the, I can't remember exactly. She's, she's got her PhD and she's in Israel and they work with a lot of like postdoc and doc students that are from the U S they were in shock at how the universities interacted. And they just, they just felt like, wow, this is our community. We thought these were our people and every, almost every one of them down the line, just completely bashed, you know, they basically were saying things. If you saw the Harvard uh, response, which was, it's the Jews fault. It's Israel's fault. Like all the violence in Israel. It's, it's it, we, 
doesn't matter whether we started it or didn't start it, you get blamed for it. So that's kind of where a lot of people in those settings have kind of gone um, politically or, you know, where they align. And so a lot of Israelis are kind of going, who's our friend? Like we can't, we can't even try to protect ourselves without getting crucified here. And so, you know, one of the things that we like to do is like to tell them, Hey, you know, that there's a, a ton of Christians that pray for you guys and love you guys. And they're like, really? Like they're almost in shock that that's a thing. Um, you know, so we get, we get to, to share that. And a lot of Christians have actually really supported um, and given and just been so generous with people. And so a lot of those meals, I mean, obviously Samaritan's person, other groups, they're, they're helping all this happen and mm-hmm. other churches have helped. And, you know, so it's amazing just to see God's people um, and the testimony that that like the hotel with the 300 people in Jerusalem, there's churches that are getting behind that and supporting that. Okay. And so these Israelis are like, why are these people helping us? You know, and they just go, well, they, they're praying for you. You know, they care about you and, you know, they want to, they want to see that you're taken care of at this time. And so even just that opens a door to be able to share something that they've never heard before. Yeah. And most Jews have never heard the gospel. So, you know, when we talk about, a God who, who didn't avoid suffering, but stepped into it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and a God that cared so much that he would do that, you know, so that we wouldn't face that eternal separation, that eternal despair. Um, so, you know, death has lost its sting, but that's something that we want to be able to tell our Jewish brothers and sisters out there. That's powerful. You know, that's powerful. You know, you hit on a couple different things there that I think a lot of our listeners are going to be you know, keenly interested in because when you just watch secular news and uh, every day it's <clears throat> the the attention is on the violence. You know, I know that yeah. the UN is putting a lot of pressure on Israel right now to pull back some of their pressure, their attacks. Um, and in the midst of that, people forget that the hostages are still being held hostage by Hamas. That yeah. there's more to it than just the pressure that Israel's putting on. There's there's more at stake here. Uh, some say, well, Israel just wants Gaza back. And um, know yeah. that, that that's not the right perspective either, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree. I think people have all kinds of... I think Israelis, like people here, they want to live... They, they don't want to live in a, in, a, in a horrific kind of conflict. They want things to be as resolved as they can be. That's why they stepped out of Gaza. I think it was 2006 or something like that when they Mm -hmm. stepped out of Gaza. And, you know, I remember when Israel was occupying Gaza. I remember when Israel was occupying Southern Lebanon. The reason Israel, when I was in the military in in 92 to 95, I was there in about 93. The reason why Israel, they had an area in Southern Lebanon that they occupied. And the reason was because back then, people had come over in hang gliders. Back then, people mm-hmm. had penetrated the fence. Back then, they were launching things over uh, into just civilian, you know, homing units, you know, kibbutzim, like the, where they lived. And, you yeah. know, it wasn't like they were attacking the IDF or, you know, they were attacking people. They would get in and they would just kill families or kill kids or kill, you know, whoever. And that's something that I think the Israeli population is, how can you live that way? Right. Like, who can, who can, do that. So that's why they went in and they cleared out like a five to 10 mile push back in there <laughs> to kind of almost weed out all the different groups that were coming in to trick. Cause you've got Hezbollah on the North, right. Mm-hmm. And they want to 
wreak their havoc and do the things they do. And listen, you know, I'm not here to, you know, necessarily uh, justify every decision. And I don't think any of us are that that um, the Israeli government has made over the years. I will say they're a government like any other government. They're Mm -hmm. they're trying to protect their citizens. They're trying to make life sustainable for Israelis that are there. You know, if you look at a map of the Middle East, Israel's a little speck in a very, very large kind of predominantly Islamic um, region in the world. And, you know, so it feels so little, and yet we're in dispute over that other little tiny part, you know? And so at some points you just kind of go, if you don't do anything, you're in trouble. If you do something, you're in trouble. And so I think now the government, you know, there's a saying, they say in Israel, if I am not going to do for me, no one else will will do for me. Mm-hmm. As a Jew, that's a saying uh, that they would use. Um, I think it's im ein anili mili. That's how you say it in Hebrew. Okay. It means if no one's going to, if no, if I'm not going to stand up for me, why should anyone else? Right. Mm-hmm. And so the Israelis kind of after World War II and after the Holocaust, they go, look, we're not going to wait for any other people group mm-hmm. to, to step up and protect us. We're going to try to do that um, for our citizens, even if it makes us unpopular. Sure. And in some ways, they, I think, view the incursion or the, the battle right now that's going on as a rooting out of those evil sort of groups that would seek to just anybody that they can just kill and come in and do that. They will try to do that. Yeah. I mean, they, just today they sent 10 rockets into Israel. People think that they're not being attacked anymore. No, I mean, I'm talking to my friends on the phone and they got to run to bomb shelters and a building just down the street from our building got hit and demolished. Mm-hmm. So we're not talking about harmless things here. We're talking about buildings that are being hit still. And I would love to be able to say that it's going to stop, but I don't have any, I don't know when that's going to, I don't know when that's going to happen sure. because they keep sending stuff. So it it still doesn't feel resolved. And I think until the hostages come back and until they feel confident that the Palestinians aren't just sort of propped up by a group of Hamas that will that will come in and you know their motive is really it, it's it's not a bashed motivation. I mean, they're open about what they want to do. Yeah. And yep. you know, from the river to the sea, mm-hmm. it's not just uh, a kumbaya song, you know what I mean? It's, you know, so when they call Israel a nation that wants to perpetuate genocide, I think ultimately that is what we're talking about. We're talking about a group of people that have no problem wiping out entire villages. They have no problem killing, you know, families and kids and cutting down non-soldier uh, civilians. So that's kind of, I think, a little bit of the challenge in navigating sure. all of this. And I think people just go, well, Israel wants to reoccupy uh, Gaza. <laughs> what benefit would there be for right. Israel as a country other than its own security to do that? Mm-hmm. So personally, I don't think they have any interest in taking their resources and doing anything like that. They just don't want to be constantly bombed. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when you're talking about <clears throat> the river to the sea, you're, you're talking about this viewpoint that Hamas has, right? Um, yeah, so, yeah. Well, that's their slogan, right? right? They, they, I see it all throughout London here. They, they're all chanting it as loud as they can, and you got all these people, you know, like in the states. Even what was the, um, I forget the names of the, uh, the politicians, but there was the woman who was trying to make it sound like no, it's a motivational speech, and it's like, <laughs> uh, you know, if you ask Hamas, it's not right. Just that, you know. Well, you, you know, 
you sharing gives us a whole lot more perspective on, uh, you know, more clarity on how to ask Christians to pray. And you talked about even how even in this darkness, even with all this pressure, that living hope, uh, God has given opportunities for you all to yeah. minister to the Jewish people. And, um, you know, and we pray for the gospel not only to go throughout Israel, we pray for the gospel to go through Palestine and everywhere else, mm-hmm. correct? Um, how can we as Christians, What you know, and I know you mentioned Samaritan Purse, you mentioned quickly about Jews for Jesus and so on, but just share with us a little bit of Christians who are watching this right now, and we're like, man, my heart is grieved, uh, grieved yeah. for all the innocents on both sides who are perishing, uh, the violence, um, how should we be praying right now? What are some ways if we want to say, I need to do something tangible, I want to pray, yes, but also tangibly, how do we get involved to encourage, to uh, inspire, to lift up in the name of the Lord? What would you speak to our audience who who may have that on their heart? I want to know how to pray, but I also want to know how to help make a difference. Yeah. Well, first of all, you know, pray for both Israelis and Palestinians who are who are currently uh, facing very tough conditions. I mean, I, I see the news and the Palestinian population that's there. We pray for them. We care that, you know, they're human beings and, you know, um, even our enemies, you know, we're called to pray for our enemies. I mean, that feels really difficult when you're dealing with s- such, um, you know, hatred, you know, that's coming at you, but that's, what Jesus called us to do. And so it's a challenging uh, place to be. It doesn't mean that, you know, we don't have opinions or or thoughts on how things ought to be, but we ask people to pray for our teams. You know, we've got, I think it's about 54, 55 staff and then their families by extension, you know, pray that God would be with them. And for those who have been called to serve in the IDF um, it's, you know, it's it's going to be a rough period and I don't know how long it's going to last. So just pray for them through this. Um, pray for the ministry that is continuing to unfold and the opportunities that God would open hearts because this is an opportunity, even though the darkest of times, you know, it's like, it, it's a terrible time for the Middle East and for Israel, but it's a powerful time for the gospel. And we recognize that God can work. And like you said, uh, Chris, you said something about like, even in the darkest times, you know, that's where, where Yeshua, the light of the world can, can bring um, just vibrancy and and new life. And so we pray for that. Um, Pray as we're partnering with the other groups. Um, We, here's a really cool thing. So we started something um, a couple of years ago, which was like, it was based on this idea of um, sort of like serving your neighbor, loving your neighbor, serving your neighbor. And so we did this where we said, look, we're Jews that love Jesus. And we've started this to promote a value that's close to our hearts, right? Which is the idea of loving your neighbor. And if you guys are doing things that are also serving your brother or sister, we want to highlight some of those things. We started this network online, a social media team, and we started getting volunteers and this and that. So when all this started, we started pulling that up again. And we said, look, we need volunteers. We want to plug people in over here and over there. And, you know, there's uh, some different groups that are feeding and there's different groups that are helping people that are displaced. And there's different groups given 
food deliveries and groceries and care packages and all that kind of stuff. We're doing care packages, hot meals, helping displaced people. Um, we even did this thing where we do like a little coffee. Um, a lot of people like got stuck and the soldiers, especially they didn't know, you know, so we, we would give them this, like, it's like a Bunsen burner, like camping mm-hmm. coffee things. Cause they're standing out there and they can't go anywhere. And so we just did all these little things to serve the population and care for people um, that were in need there. We have 900 volunteers now. And I mean, a lot of them are like Tel Aviv University, the banks, people are like, we want to come, we want to support. And it's, it's, uh, it's Jews for Jesus. And it's, uh, and it's, uh, you know, Samaritan's Purse and it's other Messianic congregations. And it's, you know, uh, groups that are, that are partnering with us on the ground. So just pray for those initiatives that God would continue to lead us to the right opportunities. Um, And I mean, one of the things that we're talking about now is, is um, really how we can continue to feed and meet those physical needs so that we can also meet those spiritual needs. And so our organization looks to meet both. And so if churches say, well, you know, I'd love to be able to do something. I mean, here's a couple things. One thing is you can also advocate locally, you know, because one of the things I know is like, this is a battle and it's, I think it's a spiritual battle. Um, I mean, you could probably reduce everything down to its spiritual sort of foundation. Somewhere down there is a spiritual battle, but this is is clearly a spiritual battle that's going on for the minds and hearts. I mean, you talked about Gen Z and, you know, I pray that as people have youth groups and people, you know, if they want to tap into me or our staff or say, hey, we want to get a Jewish person to talk to some of these guys about how they, they feel about it. I mean, it's amazing that little social media bubble you can live in. You can really just get a story that's very distorted. And, you know, I, I saw this crazy thing about this woman who's been interviewed on the Brooklyn college campus, which is an incredibly Jewish, it's one third Jewish, one third Muslim and one third, like everything else. And this woman's being interviewed by this guy. And he's like this, you know, I think he was like with one of the news networks or something like that, but he was kind of just in civilian clothes. And he's like, Hey, so what do you think's going on? You know, what do you think of these things that have happened in Israel? And she goes, Oh, it's just made up stuff. And we're talking like a college student. He goes, wait a minute. You mean, what about the babies that were killed? What about this? What about the people who were kidnapped? And she was just like, yeah, it's propaganda. Mm. And we're talking college, you know, people that are going through college will believe stuff. And so it's not even about smarts. It's about feelings and it's about who I belong to. And so I realize you, you have listeners, people that are probably got a lot of kids in their lives and people in their lives. And I just hope wherever you are, that God could use you uh, to be a mouthpiece and to be able to, you know, share hope. And also think about it this way. There's a lot of Jewish people out there who feel really marginalized. If you just reached out to them and said, Hey brother, how you doing? You know, our church is praying for you or something. You, they would just be like probably in tears hearing that, you know, it would, it would really, I think they might wonder why, but if you said, Oh, you know, we're, we're Christians. We love, you know, the Jewish people, we care about you guys. And, you know, we're praying for what's going on. And if you need anything, you know, just even something like that, you reached out to a local synagogue or a rabbi, I think they'd be super uh, encouraged and open to that. Um, As far as physical things too, um, we do have people that say, well, I'd like to give to, you know, help some of those meals that are going out. And I think some of those, I think we've done this thing where they're about $50 to kind of deliver 
um, all we do like these care packages that have canned goods and all the stuff. And then we, we get them out. What we're doing is partnering with a lot of congregations on the ground. So we fund a lot of these to go out literally thousands. And then what they do is they get them out in their communities to all the people who need them. Okay. And those it's cool. Cause it's congregations that are going to go and it's nice. Cause they go, Hey, we're just up the street here. And, you know, it builds that connectivity to the local body of, of, of Messiah there. So that's a few ways. I mean, Obviously, you know, churches can continue to reach out and just think we need encouragement from time to time, which is amazing that you reach, you know, you and I were going back and forth. And I think you wrote to me and said, Hey, brother, I'm thinking of you. Mm-hmm. That meant so much. You know, if you have a friend or somebody in Jewish ministry, you just reach out to them right now. They're feeling right now a little bit like 9 11. You know, yeah. it's it's a little bit of shock. And just to have somebody that says, Hey, we're thinking of you and we're praying for you and how can we help you? It, it just makes a massive amount of difference. You feel like, wow, you know, there's, there's people out there that really do pray and care for us. Um, so those are, you know, a few practical ways. I hope that, you know, kind of gives a little, sheds a little more light. You can also go to jewsforjesus.org because we actually have a couple of options where people can say, oh, I'd like to do this, or I'd like to do that. They can find, there's a couple articles on there around how Christians can stand and different things like that. So again, that's jewsforjesus.org. Um, but yeah, there's a, a lot of great ways to, you know, connect and help out. Um, we even have had some people say, Hey, can we go volunteer? <laughs> it's a little more challenging with volunteering right now. Cause obviously you got to get to Israel, which can be challenging. And then second, um, it, we are more in need of Hebrew speakers, but we have had some volunteers that mm-hmm. have showed up and they're like, Hey, I'm here. And so if somebody absolutely said, Hey, you know, I know how to cook. I'm a chef or I know, you know, we're starting to do agricultural work. Really? We've got 900 volunteers. Have you heard about this? They're starting to oh. do agricultural work because all the people are, are, are fled from the South. So the, all, all the agriculture is dying. Yeah. So a lot of these people, they've called on Israelis to volunteer and go and like pick the crops. Oh wow! So, yeah. So a number of Israelis have just kind of gone down to do it. And the problem is it's like they're working jobs and they've got kids and they're trying to balance it. So people have come to volunteer to try to help out with that. Mm, so, so they have food. <laughs> That's great. Um, in yeah. my role as a online pastor here, I'm, I'm online a lot. You were talking about social media earlier and, um, and before we rode the, before we started recording earlier, we were talking a little bit about some of the things we've been seeing on social media and one particular that's made the rounds, even within uh, the church uh, proper in here in the states, at least I've seen some people share, and it's kind of, and I've, and you're talking about earlier. Sometimes, yeah, we need to volunteer. We need to do. Sometimes you got to speak out, also, because uh, there was a, it was a meme, uh, just it passed around between uh, thousands upon thousands of folks, and basically it came down to this. And I was just wondering how you would respond to this, because um, I know I did a few times. Um, and it, and the essence of it was that, Hey, be, be, understand grain knowledge that the, the nation of Israel, the government of Israel, the national uh, people of Israel now is not the same Israel of, of the old Testament. Mm. That is, that is, and that seems for whatever reason to strike a chord within certain church people. And, and I see, I see it shared a lot. And I I know a few of uh, a few people I've known extendedly, one guy in particular, he shared it, and we had a we had a little bit of talk. I talked to him off. I didn't go online and do it there. I talked to him personally, uh, messaged him, and uh, and so I just would like to know how you would 
answer that if you came across that on social? Mm, that's a good question. Yeah, well, listen, I would say that despite the attempts of all sorts of different people throughout history who wanted to wipe the Jewish people out. And, you know, I think the reason I think it's evil too is because they're essentially wanting to wipe out the people that God picked. You know, it's 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 not even about the people. He could have picked any people. Exactly. They just right. don't want God's, they don't want God's people, you know. Mm. And and I think this is more a battle between dark and light. And I think historically, um, you know, a lot of people have tried to wipe the Jewish people out. They've been shockingly resilient and been able to, you know, kind of remain, you know, you don't see a lot of Jebusites and Hittites and this group and that group still around. That's funny you, you say that. Jewish people. Yeah, that, you see that's Jewish been my people. answer for years. Sorry to interrupt, but yeah, as a, I was a former <laughs> atheist and I've told him this before and I've told many people this before. Uh, the fact that Israel exists was the one thing as an atheist that I could not explain. It was everything yeah. about the Bible, whether it's etymology or the historical yeah. narrative, the political narrative. I could explain the Zionist movement being involved with the political structuralism as uh, throughout you know, the European uh, Empire and trying trying to to uh, leverage their way into creating you know their uh, the Holy Land again. But I could never ever ever technically explain Israel's existence. It made no sense because, as you said. We we don't even see we we live here in the middle of the states, and Creek Indians dominated this area for for centuries. But yet we don't even meet them. I mean, there's not a Creek right. Indian. There's not there's none of their language that exists. We don't see much of their culture outside of digging in, uh, digging right. a few pits. You might find some uh, some arrowheads or, or something or pottery. But we look across the pond. There's there are living, walking, talking a national a nation of oh, Jews cool. right. that makes zero sense for that to be happening. Yeah. Anyway, sorry to, to mean interrupt, but you. No, not at all. And you know, I, you know, sometimes people say, "Well, how is that even possible?" And I go, "I don't know." And you know, I had a friend, an Australian friend, who came to me. He said, "You know, I used to work in finance." He said, "Just the number of Jewish people I used to work with was so disproportionate in finance, I couldn't understand it." Now, I'm not going to say that Jewish people are, you know, more adept at different things, but we found a way to navigate and figure out how to succeed, even in very tough environments and very tough situations. So, I will say that God has done a miracle in preserving Jewish yes, people, and exactly I mean, we right. know that. The Bible doesn't say, well, Jews will exist and then they won't anymore. He says, no, they're going to exist and they're going to continue to exist. As, you know, I, I've got a plan and I'm going to work out my plan of salvation. Not because Jews are so much better. No, we're not perfect people. The nation of Israel is not a perfect nation. The government of Israel is not a perfect government. You know, they're they're def definitely people like everybody else and they still, they still need God. But one of the things I would say to that, I'm not quite sure of what you're saying, the meme going around, mm -hmm. if it was trying to say, well... You know, the Israel today doesn't equate to the Israel. That's Bible. exactly what it's saying. Yep. Yeah. And you don't that, have to support. I've heard Israel that before. Today, like I mean, that, did, yeah, that you don't need to support this Israel because it's not the same. It's, it's not literally the Bible was, Israel. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Now, I, I got to say, I mean, the Bible's Israel. Israel went into exile for, you know, a yep. couple thousand years and then miraculously they ended up back on that same plot of land. And, you know, the reality is, what would make you say something otherwise? What, what the fact that it was a group of Orthodox Jews that were establishing yeah. the nation of Israel or, you know, what, yeah. but the reality is Israel's never always been following God. You exactly. know what I mean? Like, even exactly. though they were chosen, it's always been, you know, the remnant has always been the remnant, right? It's never, yeah. it, you never had like, it's a myth that like, oh, all of Israel was always this like right. perfect group of 
people and that's why they were called Israel. I was like, no, they they were clearly imperfect people. And today they're clearly imperfect people. And so to me, I look at it and I go, God, Marat, you can't look at what happened oh, in 1948 and not see God's hand on that. That is just, just I mean, yep. after... Six million people were gone out of a nation. You know, the nation they say today would be um, not quite double, but a, a lot bigger than it is now if that hadn't happened. And the reality is, despite that, God is still working and causing Israel to flourish. And I look at it like he's got uh, a plan and it doesn't matter what I have to say about it or anybody else. His plan is going to be what he ends up doing. And he's got a plan for Jewish people. Do I know exactly when it's going to pan out and how it's going to pan out? No, right. <laughs> but I, but I believe that he's definitely still got a plan and he hasn't given up and said, well, you know, you're done. You know, you didn't, you didn't all get behind me and Jesus when he came. So you're done. I don't believe that. I believe that God is a God that wants to save. Mm -hmm. And I think that he's going to work to be our salvation, whether we're Jew or Gentile. And so that's, that's our hope is to see uh, that nation of Israel transformed uh, not just from the barren wasteland that it was into the country that it is, but also spiritually uh, mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. Amen to that. We know that when you read the New Testament, Paul made it very clear. God is not going to give up on Israel. And one day the Messiah is going to come back for Gentile and Jew and all who Amen. call upon his name. And, you know, you may mention, we don't know how it's all going to pan out. And I know a lot of people are using this moment to try to, you know, pick out how the end time, how all this yeah. applies to the end time. We don't know all those details. We just know he is coming back yeah. and he yeah. promises he will not forsake any who call upon his name, Jew or Gentile, but it is very specific. God will not reject his chosen people. Yeah, it's going to involve that his return, no matter how you feel about it, um, whether it will, if you're preterist, you probably don't feel about it either way, but if you are, uh, if you believe in the, the dispensationalism as we do, then you believe in the return of Christ, and that return of Christ will involve Israel. Yes, clearly, and it's it's throughout the entire anything right. involves. Uh, however, you look at at it, the end times, it involves Israel yes. and it involves Jerusalem. I mean, we see those things over and over, and anybody denying that is just straight up denying what the Bible says. And they're just not going back to Scripture to get their final conclusions. Exactly. Again, right. even whenever I was an atheist, you know, I could read the Bible, and I read it in uh, in some of its original languages, and I could pick it apart, but there was something I'd never, I could never, ever, ever, ever eradicate, and that was Israel. It was like, mm -hmm. it, it made zero sense for yeah. it to, for, for a nation to lose its borders, but to maintain its culture, its identity, and its, and its voice, and its uh, and its religious uh, virtues, and not to mention even some of his language, it didn't happen. Like right. you said, you don't know. We don't know Edomites. We don't just know see God's hand of sovereignty. And if you couldn't see that, right. as a, like I said, as an atheist, I saw that. I saw that uh, was there. I mean, I didn't believe still yet in 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 Yeshua, Jesus, but I could see that aspect of Israel being something that didn't make sense that I couldn't explain away in a naturalistic sense. Yeah. Yeah, there's some anomaly there that, yeah. uh, yes. you know, scientists could look into it, but uh, I think it would still be, remain a mystery. Um, and, I, you know, I look at Romans chapter 11, and when Paul says, and all Israel will be saved, I don't think what he's just saying is, oh, all the Jewish people, they're just 
automatically these people that are saved by God. I think what he's saying is he's looking at that forward time mm-hmm. when God is going to ultimately bring the people of Israel back to himself. I do believe that he was thinking of a revival. Mm. And that's mm. what I'm praying for. I'm asking Amen. God, hey, maybe that revival could happen in our lifetime. Amen. Maybe that could happen in the next year. I don't know. I don't know when Jesus exactly is coming back either. But you start to get a sense that God is opening hearts and starting to do something. And that's my that's my prayer in all this, is that um, he turned something really dark and that he brings something good out of it. And we mm. know that that's what he does, right? He can do Amen. that even in the darkest things. He can bring something positive and something redemptive out of it. Um, so that's that's kind of my prayer in all this. That's a great way for all of us to be praying right now. You know, um, Aaron, we cannot thank you enough for spending this time with us. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, a couple of weeks ago when some of the um, anti-Israeli riots were taking place in New York and so on, that's when all of a sudden, you know, my heart was pricked wondering about you and your family and hoping you were safe. Yeah. And um, I'm thankful in, in a way that you were already in England. I didn't know it at the time. We're just glad you're safe. Know yeah. that uh, you are loved and that we are praying yep. not only for you, but for all uh, of Israel and all the Jewish people in the, in, the, in what you're doing. We're so thankful that even in this conversation today, uh, what we are reminded of, even in the midst of all of the the despair of this conflict and praying for peace and praying for those who have uh, been affected and been hurt and wounded and suffered loss, is that we're reminded today of the sovereignty of God that there can be a revival. Yep. Amen. That light can shine in this darkness, and that's how we're, we're going to pray. That's how we must pray. God will use this, and good will come from it. Uh, the gospel will be spread. Jesus will be lifted up and exalted. And we pray that folks on both sides of the conflict come to know Jesus yep. as their Messiah. Amen to that. Amen. Amen to that. Well, before we get out of here, uh, like remind you of a couple of things. There will be a few links down in the uh, in the the body of the text that will have a link to where David and the Jews for Jesus.org. And, and through that, you can find out ways that you can help and partner with those guys. There'll also be some other links down in there to help you guys know a little bit more about what's going on over there and with them. Uh, we always want to tell you one thing. If you can support us, drop some comments down there, give us a thumbs up. It might pop up somewhere on the screen, somewhere weirdly enough. Or if you can give us a five-star view, uh, review wherever you are watching or listening to this podcast, we would much appreciate it. But otherwise, until next time, guys, we hope you live a life complete and a life on point.